0: Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition presented by Phil Hinton
1: Hello and welcome to July's Movies Podcast. Coming up, we look at the latest Blu ray disc news and we also take a trip down memory lane and look back at the classic Star Trek movies and put them up against the new Star Trek film. And as always, I'm joined by the AV Forums Movies Review team. Uh, this month we have Alan. Hi, Alan. Hello, Phil. Uh, we also have uh, Mark Botwright. Hi, Mark. All right and uh, at least be a bit enthusiastic mark oh.
2: <laughs> hello
1: and we also have the regular simon crust hi simon hi phil hi everyone and uh, making his return after six months in exile it's kaz harlow
3: hey it's good to be back another one that sounds interested <laughs> <laughs> that is my normal voice that is my enthusiastic voice <laughs> hey it's good to be back
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, with uh, a full team, it's time to get straight into the DVD and Blu ray uh, disc news. I think it's a majority of Blu ray disc news this month. And uh, let's kick off with Alan. Alan, an all time classic, 70 odd years old. um We're not talking about you, we're talking about the film. Uh, Wizards of Oz, tell us about it.
0: Yeah, thanks, Phil, very kind. um wizard of Oz, one of my favourite all time movies. And I have to say, I did see this in the cinema, but. Not on its initial release. I saw it back in 1970, 1979. 1969 when I was on holiday in Whitley Bay. The reason I know it was '69 is because uh, Weird Eagles' Air was out at the same time. Um, but. Really, it's. I mean, anybody who's not seen this film by now uh, is deliberately avoiding it because it's on almost every Christmas, uh, and you know, it becomes everyone's uh, favorite movie after a piece of, piece of time. But in the movie itself, we've got some classic numbers. We've got the great Judy Garland. I've still got the laser disc. Um, it was meant to be the ultimate collection at the time, and looking at all the stuff that's going to come out on the Blu-ray, it looks to me like uh, everything that's on the LaserDisc has been um, upscaled for the or re-transferred for the the Blu-ray release. Uh, and you know, believe it or not, we've actually got a thing along long track, which is apparently new. Um, this commentary by various different people uh, that were involved, uh, some of them in, in the production, some of them relatives of people who were in the production But there's a whole load of pretty stuff that comes with it, like a a storybook and uh, there's a separate music and effects track. Um, There's the the docos, TV specials, all that kind of thing. So they've really gone overboard by dragging together almost every known piece of uh, documentary material about the making of the film to stick on here. Um, Looking at it... I mean, the the price of this is showing up as eighty five dollars, which I guess in real money is about sixty quid. Now it's quite a lot of money for a for a a, a Blu-ray, uh, but you know it's a special edition, and I think you know completists will want it. And also, you know, there's a whole generation of people just waiting to see this. You know, kids have never who have never seen this. Uh, they're just waiting to see this new movie to them. Uh Again, it's going to be 1080p with a VC1 codec, and it looks to me like it's going to be I would call a stonking good release.
1: So, Alan, uh, this is the 70th anniversary edition. However, uh, DVD enthusiasts will know that uh, this was released about three years ago, now two or three years ago, um, as a big special edition. It was uh, the remastered version, and it sounds like everything that was on the DVD is certainly being ported over to this Blu-ray.
0: Certainly does. Um I think uh, the the quality of the DVD was very good at the time, and let's hope that the the quality of the Blu ray will be even better.
1: Okay, so uh, that's a bit of uh, real classic cinema, uh, but another one which I know a, an awful lot of AV Forums fans have a deep affection for, including myself. And Kazi's going to tell us all about Leon.
3: Yeah, well, I've been looking forward to this release for a long time. I believe it's already come out on Blu ray uh, in in, I think, France, um, but was region locked, and because my Blu-ray player is American only, I wasn't able to play it, so um, I've been waiting for this with eager anticipation. I'm one of those guys who went out and got the first DVD, then got the director's cut. I, I, I got the director's cut first on a French PAL black and white tape, I think, before I, DVDs had even come out and um, I, I really, this has got to be one of my top three movies. I'm not going to put them in order but it's it's up there with the best of the best. son um, did good movies and didn't churn out, repeat scripts of Transporter and the like and four taxi films. Um, this was where he really showed what he was capable of and he brought together a great cast including Jean Reno who just doesn't do enough good movies and Gary Oldman again a Powering powerhouse performance, proving what he was really capable of. A really, really young Natalie Portman as well, again showing her metal at a very early age. And um, when Leon first came out, I think I saw it three times in the cinema, it was uh, amazing. It was a, a very, very stylish um, Hollywood budget, but European styled um, movie about uh, a hitman, his relationship with a 12-year-old girl, dodgy as that sounds, and a corrupt uh, cop who is um, uh, dogging them. And uh, it was it was perfection for me when they did the director's cut. I think it's um, well, it only added to my viewing pleasure of the movie. Um, I'm not going to say it's a better version, but for a person who loves the movie, I couldn't help but want the longer version. So now, finally, after what feels like an eternity, 14th um, September, we're getting Leon on Blu-ray in its director's cut form, and I cannot wait.
1: So, Kazia, you mentioned the relationship there between the hitman and the 12-year-old girl, and obviously it, it is still, to this day, caught in controversy um, because of that, and a lot of people are pointing fingers at it, but uh, what's your view on, on that side of things?
3: Well, actually, I think the director's cut clears up perhaps a lot of it um, in that the original version alluded to something more than a platonic relationship between these two. And the director's cut maybe addresses the issues of what they do feel for each other and uh, where it can and can't go and the reasons for that. And I think that perhaps that it made it... whilst that was the reason why it was cut because I think they talked about it too much in the director's cut for Western audiences. Uh, It was also a shame because it it kind of cleared things up a little bit more. I never felt that it was strained in the movie because I never got the impression that these were two who just wanted to jump on each other, so some kind of like paedophilic relationship. I got the impression these were two who had formed a bond. And whether that bond transcended a father-daughter re- relationship didn't matter because I didn't think they were going to do anything with it.
0: I think probably the most iconic scene from that movie is the very final one where um, uh, Jean Reno open, opens his shirt and we see all the explosives on him. That's the that's shot that sticks in my
3: mind out of that
0: movie.
1: Yeah, and just spoil it for everybody that hasn't seen it.
0: Oh, bugger.
3: <laughs> Cut that then. <laughs> 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 I love it when he's hiding on top of the, um, he's like hiding on, up above so a, a door frame and everybody's looking around wondering where he is and he just kind of swings down upside down shoots everybody. I'll just spoil it as well, uh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not quite the end. Let, but let's let's <laughs> ruin,
1: ruin the movie for everyone. Why not? Um, okay, so that's that's Leon. It's coming to uh, Blu-ray. Uh, region 1 disc, is it? Cars no, is it it's, region? it's
3: Region 2, but I don't care because apparently it's not region coded, so it's coming my way.
1: Excellent. So uh, that's Leon.
2: We'll move on to Mark. Mark, a uh, bit of Godzilla from you. Yeah, indeed. Uh, very much a classic what is known as a monster movie in the West, but in Japan, very much a different sort of film for the time. Uh, the, the disc that's coming to us, uh, quite a way away still, September 22nd, but uh, is said to contain both the US and the original version. Now, the original Japanese version was far more of a cautionary tale about um, the effects of uh, nuclear testing, weapons testing and the like, and had quite a bleak outlook to it. But then, uh, as with many things, the uh, Hollywood got a hold of it, decided to paste in uh, Raymond Burr, who most people would probably know, later on to become Ironside or Perry Mason, and turned into what it was a fairly routine monster movie, the kind of drive-in fare of the time. But it should look excellent, all cleaned up, and maybe it won't won't necessarily help the effects to a great degree, but I'm sure it'll. Uh, be a nice little trip down memory lane, and quite a nostalgic movie for many, for whom it will be the first of many Godzilla movies.
1: Yeah, we th- we in the West seem to have this uh, different uh, outlook towards Godzilla than they do in in Japan. Um, does it translate with with this movie?
2: Um, to a certain extent, it does, but the 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 problem is is well, basically Raymond Burr. As soon as you, you shoehorn in a Westerner, it, it seems to take away part of the the karmic values that was associated with the original, which was in a time, I mean, in 1954, after uh, at a time when nuclear weapons were coming to the fore, there was uh, a lot of trepidation throughout the world community. Up from the kind of uh, ocean rises this great beast, and it, it was more a cautionary tale of what could happen if you don't rein in uh, the power that you seek to wield. And, but as soon as that really came over to the West, it, it was more lumped in with the general saucer movies, the Harryhausen affair of the time, and simply another drive-in film, to be honest. Okay, so uh, a bit of
1: Godzilla there.
2: Uh, thanks for that, Mark. And uh, moving back to Alan. Alan, uh,
1: this is one of my favourite movies from the last couple of years. Uh, you can't go wrong with a bit of Simon Pegg. Hot Fuzz.
0: Yeah, Hot Fuzz, um, excellent movie. And I, I didn't enjoy his previous movie, the Shaun and the Dead one, but I, I really did enjoy Hot Fuzz. Um, Simon Pegg, still pretty much flavour of the month, I guess, if, if he wanted to make a movie, the fact that he would be attached to it now, I would get a budget to do it. Uh, but looking at Hot Fuzz itself... I just love the fact that it sent up almost every genre of movie, uh, everything from the Wicker Man through to, um, you know, a lot of British, uh, I guess, and American um, thriller horror type movies. Um, it took a; sw- I wasn't scared to take a swipe at anything. Um, and the the great thing for me was the cast that was involved with it. Not only did we have modern guys like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, but we also had people uh, popping up like Tim Dalton, Jim Broadbent, uh, Steve Coogan, again another modern one, but in there also we got faces like Billy Whitelaw, fantastic, she was the na- the nanny in The Omen, the original Omen, Edward Woodward who was in uh, The Wicked Man, the, the British version of it, um, we've got people like Martin Freeman, Great faces, faces we all recognise, and the the script is witty. It's funny, all, all about this um, go ahead uh, policeman who's made in a uh, significant pain of pain in the arse of himself in London, so they kick him out to the countryside, and he's almost like Edward Woodward was in The Wicker Man, uh, where he discovers there's a there's a whole village involved in a in, in a plot that's going on. Uh, it's just wonderfully. I guess wacky is the word. Um, it just made me laugh. And there are there are a few gruesome moments in it, uh, which I won't describe because it will give the end away, I think. Um, but it's, it's, it's a movie that... I've still got the HD DVD of it. Um, and it, it looks fantastic, the, the high-def transfer on that. So if they've used the same transfer for the Blu-ray, it will be standout. Uh, it really is good, even when you project it on a great big screen. It looks fantastic. So... Um, It's a a, a UK Blu-ray, so it'll be Region B. I don't have a date on it as such um, for release. I don't know if anyone else has got the date for the release of that, but it must be coming up over the summer months. Um, It'd be nice to see that one again.
1: Yeah, can't go wrong uh, with a bit of uh, hot fuzz. Um, Guys, uh, it seems like Edgar Wright with uh, with his direction with this one and Shaun of the Dead, uh, there's a definite uh, comedy... Uh, element in there but also the the homage to to movies gone by we've got Bad Boys and uh, Point Break and and, uh, Hot Fuzz so uh, did you other guys see it? What what did you make of things? Cars?
3: Yeah for me it was uh, one non-stop homage, but a, a, in a really good way. I mean, I find that Tarantino grates a little bit with the way he completely steals from other movies. Here, they were clearly playing paying tribute to movies that they loved and respected. And whilst they were often doing it in a comic fashion, it wasn't because it was apparent that they loved these movies. So yes, as you say, it's a point-breaker, and um, and Bad Boys 2 were the two overt ones, but all of the do you hang out, out of a, a Uh, do you hang out of a car door shooting a gun? Do you drive backwards shooting a gun? Do you jump through the air with two guns shooting? You know, all the ridiculous questions you pose. It was, it was all, I think it was all done done out of love and respect for the action genre, however ludicrous it can be at times. And I think that's what Hot Frost really got right, where a lot of other movies and spoof movies take in too far in too many different directions.
2: Yeah, um, I enjoyed it immensely, along with Shaun of the Dead. It, It. it's almost like it's aiming at two separate markets, being almost a, a postmodern pastiche. It's it's it can be seen just as a simple comedy, but also, like with Shaun of the Dead, the action set pieces are actually pretty well choreographed. You know, they, they, there's a bit of um, inventive direction going on, and yeah, I think it, it holds up very well, and it. it as Kaz said, it's not just poking fun and it's not just blatantly stealing from. It's, it's treading a very fine line of uh, paying homage to the films that obviously the, the cast and crew genuinely loved. And that comes across very clearly. And of course, um, we could go back to the series of space for where that all began for this team.
1: You've got Nick Frost, uh, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, who was directing that. Um, very much the same type of style, so if anybody hasn't seen that series, they really should go and have a look. Um, unfortunately, no Blu-ray re- release yet, but I take it you guys also caught space when it was around? Oh yeah, yeah def-
3: absolutely loved it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely picked that up as soon as I, as soon as I saw one episode I had to get it the DVD. I've got to ask, has anyone seen uh, the Boat That Rocked? Because I've been waiting ages for them to do another film together, and it's the only film that they've actually been in together, although it's clearly nothing like Hot Fuzz or well it doesn't look like. I haven't actually come across well, I haven't got around to seeing it yet. But um, has anyone come across it seen it? No yeah. It's one I wanted to see, but it seems
0: to have vanished from the cinemas pretty rapidly. I don't I don't think that film is promoted properly. Um but I believe it's probably coming out on um UK Blu ray D V D about September this year.
1: Yeah, so that's another one to look forward to. We'll bring you the news as soon as we have a uh, release for The Boat That Rocked. Uh, but Hot Fuzz coming to Blu-ray. Uh, let's go back to Kaz. Cars, bit of superhero stuff. Uh, Watchman.
3: Yeah, well, Watchman is a strange one. That's an extremely dark graphic novel. The original uh, format for this is, is back in the era where we had From Hell, and we had, um, we had Watchmen, and we had Sin City, although to a lesser extent Sin City, because whilst Sin City was quite uh, gritty and violent, it wasn't actually half as dark as some of these other movies. Um, the, the Watchmen comic was one of the early uh, stories about anti-superheroes, so what happened when superheroes went wrong. And um, it's now a big fad. There are loads of different uh, stories about them, including including the latest graphic novel I'm reading is um, The Boys, which has actually got a character who's modelled on Simon Pegg, and he is the main character in it. So he looks like Simon Pegg. I don't know whether they'll ever pick it up for a movie. They probably could do. But again, it's about anti-superheroes. Watchmen... um, the, bringing it to the big screen was a, a monumental task and Zack Snyder to give him his due he pulled it off pretty well I mean, it, it, they had to change the story around a little bit but it works probably for the better um, and I think that whilst at the end it's not a wholly satisfying run it is, um, it is a good watch and it has got um, some tremendous set pieces it's a, it is a work of art in terms of how much they put into this movie Um, and in a matter of weeks we're going to get the director's cut which I'm eager to check out see what else they included in there see what they've missed out Um, it's one of those movies where there's so much uh, history for it to come from there's so, so many fans out there who've who've read the material, who have loved the material. Um, I, I'm sure this will be a, a big one for fans to pick up and check out. Um, the Watchmen Director's Cut comes out July the 21st. It's a US release but there is a UK Director's Cut coming out at a similar time. Um, it runs, I, I don't know how much longer than the two and a half hour normal cuts. From it, it says 162 minutes. I don't know how much longer that is. I'm guessing about 12, 15 minutes longer um it's coming uh with a uh, disc's worth of extra featurettes and a little bit of hd content um but i'm sure that people will be most interested in seeing what extra material has been put back in
1: and um i have gonna pick you up on anti-superheroes Uh they have handbags and stuff do they <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah something like that no anti-superheroes well it's um I guess it's back in the day when everyone became suddenly anti-villains, you know, the, the day when Batman was first introduced to the screen, I think that's like 89. Um, and all of a sudden, he wasn't that glossy guy in blue tights who saved the day. He was a guy who, you know, busted people's noses and came out of the shadows and, um, you know, scared the crap out of people. So, scared the hell out of people. And... um Watchmen is perhaps taking it to the next level, which is not only saying that some of these superheroes are actually a little bit, uh, a little bit more like vigilantes. It's saying what happens when these vigilantes are actually bad. They're not villains. They're superheroes that the world supposedly adore, uh, adores. And uh, looks up to, but in the real life, they they still go out and commit crimes. They still have no morals. They still have that power-hungry thirst to um, to use all of their superpowers in bad ways. And they're not as uh, clean cuts as people would expect from the the Superman era of superheroes. It's, it was a breakthrough comic at its time. Another Alan Moore comic. He's the guy from From Hell, and. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a dark, stark read and a correspondingly dark film.
1: Okay, so uh, that's The Watchmen coming to uh, Blu-ray very soon. We'll be back with some more news in a couple of ticks.
4: <laughs> turning up to
1: 11.
0: 11. With the AV Podcast.
1: So continuing the uh, Blu-ray movie news and the discs that are coming soon, we're turning it up to 11, like the ident said. Spinal Tap. Mark, tell us all about it.
2: Yeah, well, very pleased to see this finally coming out. It seems to have been delayed numerous times. Each month, I seem to look at the release schedule and it's put back again. But hopefully, this final street date of July 14th will in fact be hit. Um, Very much a classic comedy, usually in the the top echelons of any kind of list, IMDB or any kind of uh, compendium of the greatest comedies of all time. And Essentially, a heavy metal uh, documentary or rockumentary. Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, uh, great comic actors who've all gone on to various things since then. A lot of uh, guest appearances in The Simpsons, a lot of people will recognise their voices from, although they are hamming it up with fairly Nick Van Dyke-esque English accents in this one, Uh, reportedly based on uh, the band Saxon, but... No one's fully sure how much truth there is in that. It's all 80s pomp rock, basically. Uh, almost uh, like a musical for men and with heavy metal involved. The Well, the disc looks pretty f- packed. seems to be virtually everything that came on the old two-disc DVD. So that includes the audio commentary by all the gentlemen involved in character as Spinal Tap. It's got catching up with Marty De Uh basically all the archive footage of them that was mocked up to look like it was from the sixties and the like. And best of all, uh English DTS HD master audio uh sound option. So hopefully if they get that right, this disc should be a sure buy.
1: Yeah, a bit of a cult classic, uh, this one, and it's built up a, a lot of uh urban myth status along with it. Um, And I guess it's the only film that really shows that Americans just don't get irony as well. Um, If anybody listening wants to go to Amazon and look up uh, the film on Amazon and then look at the comments and uh, you'll be there for a day with your sides absolutely killing you.
2: uh, Very much so. (laughs) Some of the the comments that these Americans have on the film. It it was very similar to... um, uh, in many ways, the, the Larry Sanders show, the reception that it got by some people in this country, though, in that if you tune into it just quickly, if you're watching television and it shows up, when you're trying to lampoon something that is so ridiculous to start with, the the pitfall is, is that you could come across as real. And that's what a lot of people mistook this for being an actual band. And some of the songs, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, the, the soundtrack usually sells pretty well. I own the CD as well, and I, I don't mind it. It's not just for comic value, and there are various Saxon songs, White Snake songs, that are, quite frankly, far worse than than what was thought up for this film.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, it it is entertaining. So what's the release date for that one, Mark? That's July 14th. Okay, so so. hopefully it'll hit that. Okay, so uh, that's coming July 14th, Spinal Tap. Uh, Let's go back to Alan, Uh, some more classics to talk about that are coming to Blu-ray, and uh, let's talk about these two, uh, together we have got Long Good Friday and Dan Busters. So tell us about them, Alan.
0: Yeah, the Long Good Friday, one of my favourite British gangster movies. Um, it really um, it, it came out of nowhere when it was made. Uh, basically, it was made by Handmade Productions back in 1979. I don't know if you remember, Handmade was the company with formed by uh, George Harrison and Dennis O'Brien, and they. Brought out a whole load of, a whole string of uh, low budget British movies. Uh, Included in that string was uh, Monty Python's Life of Brian as well. And uh, it was kind of sad that they went into demise. But this movie, uh, The Long Good Friday, is a very gritty, uh, very um, (coughs) grainy uh, looking film, I I recall, because um, I'm not sure if it was shot on 16mm, but it certainly looked like it at the time. Um, it, It presented the, the world of the gangster uh, as one that perhaps wasn't the most pleasant that you'd want to become involved in. But the film itself has it's got Bob Hoskins and uh, the lovely Helen Mirren. She was quite young then, still quite lovely. She's still lovely now, but uh, she was even nicer then. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole lot of classic scenes in this where uh, Bob Hoskins uh, tries to work out who it is that's um, attacking him and he gathers together all these uh, potential... Uh, uh, enemies and hangs them upside down in a cold store. That, 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 scene, uh, sticks in my mind after all these years. And also the final shot of, um, Bob Hoskins face in the car at the end of the movie. Uh, and I won't reveal, uh, why he has a sort of shocked look on his face. I'll leave that to people who haven't seen the movie yet. Um, it, it's a cracking good movie. Uh, very good, very gritty, uh, to say it again, that is, that is the operative word for this movie, gritty. A movie, it's a movie I like. I don't watch it too often, but every time I, I do look at it, I, I kind of come to it with fresh eyes. And there's loads of faces in there that you'll recognise as well. You've got Kevin McNally, a very young Dexter Fletcher, Gillian Tailforth, who was in EastEnders. Um, just faces that you know because they've popped up in so many things on the telly uh, since then. But it's a cracking good movie. Moving on, if I may, to uh, the Dam Busters. Uh, going back further in time to 1954 when this was released, it's uh, everybody must have seen this on the telly by now. But you know, come on, it's great to be able to get uh, your hands on a really good transfer of it. Uh, so, on the 20th of July this year, we're going to have this on Blu-ray with great cast: uh, Richard Todd, Michael Redgrave, Ursula Jeans, Basil Sidney, Patrick Barr, and it's it's. A story of uh, great British ingenuity, um, the, the the bouncing bomb—it's uh, it, a legend—and um, really, it probably uh, went uh, made, made a significant contribution to the war effort at the time. Uh, as an aside to that, I remember um, when I worked in Shepperton Studios, uh, someone told me that one of the reservoirs next to the studio was actually used for some of the testing of the bouncing bomb. I uh, just thought I'd throw that in there to bore a few people. Um, but, you know, it was directed by Michael Anderson, black and white movie, and it's um, this is proper black and white. None of this boiled up grey stuff. Um, proper black and white, lit properly for black and white. and. This, if they get a good print from this and transfer it properly, it should be nice. It's a cracking movie. And as an aside also, uh, Stephen Fry, I believe, is working on a script for a modern um, version of this, a remake. Why? Leave the thing alone. It's a damn good film.
1: Yeah, well, this is one of the points I was going to raise. Maybe the other guys can come in with their thoughts on this. But, uh, yeah, you know, talking about these classic war movies from the uh, late 40s and, and during the 50s, there was, there was plenty of them. I mean, the war had only just ended uh, about five to, to ten years beforehand. But do you think there's still a relevance with these movies? Do, do they actually stand up? Uh, on their own or, or uh, was there, was a there quite a bit of an influence in in and a bit of uh, uh, victoric valour behind the, the the whole thing
0: i'm sure there must have been um but at the end of the day we can look at these movies now and um for instance we had uh dunkirk on the telly in hd the other the other weekend uh, and it looked fantastic um it also had a certain charm, a certain style that you get with movies of its time, directed by good directors, people like Leslie Norman, folk like that Barry Norman's dad, um, people who knew what they were doing, not some of the kitty winks today who want to try out the latest camera angle
2: No, I, I think there's a certain uh, relevance to remaking some of the classics, particularly from the, the the first post-war era of British films simply because sometimes when viewing them now, they can come across as almost like uh, basic post-war propaganda. And so I, I think there, there's an argument to be made that they, you can strip a certain element of that away with a with a retelling of something 50 years later that you couldn't have done at the time.
0: Mm, I can see that. Aye.
2: You've got a point, there. Yeah? You know, because um, I, I always loved all of the um, Sherlock Holmes films, the Basil Rathbone films of the era. But as soon as wartime broke out, they do stray into propaganda and this is what will be for britain and staring off into the sunset and say you know they'll never take our land and that kind of thing and so it's that there's often i think room for a slight reappraisal and i i would expect if stephen fry's involved perhaps it'll look more into the technological aspects of you know of these kind of creative minds a bit like uh, when looking at the men and women who cracked the enigma code and that kind of thing it becomes less of a, a a patriotic piece and more about a human endeavor.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the the reason I that I brought that question up is I watched um, Midway um a few days ago. It was on Sky Modern Greats on the H D cleaned up print, looked very, very good. But it was very much um uh, patriotic America um and the Japanese um, very stereotypic uh, in their portrayal in
2: that movie so maybe these movies do need a,
1: a modern retelling, a modern rewrite
2: Well it, yeah. it would be nice if if there wasn't just the the general Johnny Foreigner and Bash the Bosch kind of thing that occasionally still does turn up in, in American films when they touch upon things like terrorism even today, that I, I think that, that there's a greater scope for telling both sides of the story, but as with I suppose things like Tora, 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 when you try to tell two sides too evenly, you end up with a, a bit of a mishmash. So they can't go too far down that road. But obviously, I, I think there's certainly an argument to be made that, that there could be uh, newfound relevance for remaking this.
0: Yeah, well, let's, let's hope that there certainly is. Because, I mean, I have to be honest, with a lot of remakes, I'm thinking to myself, well, the only reason they're doing this is for the money because that's what people are in the business for. Um, oh, I, some, I know. So some, sometimes you'd like to think that there was something new that they could bring to it, something that they could contribute to the story that we didn't know before. That makes it worthwhile telling.
2: Yeah, so long as it isn't like the the Psycho remake and a shot-for-shot shot remake, then I, I, I'm sure there there's enough scope in there, and there's, there's certainly enough strands in the story that could be... Um, Investigated more from the original, that I think you know you could certainly flesh out a lot of it now.
1: And let's mm-hmm. not mention Pearl Harbor, anybody. Um, okay, uh, Kaz, do you have any views on, on the whole wartime thing?
3: No, but that's an interesting point on uh, on remakes. I wonder what you guys thought about um, them remaking the first three Star Wars movies, and by the first three, I mean the old movies. Uh, what do you mean, uh, the, the,
0: the director's cuts with the uh, extra CGI and all?
3: No, no, Lucas is talking about going back and doing them all over again.
0: Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> That's what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, well, you know... The story, we've had so many cuts of them now that they've exhausted the opportunities to get revenue out of that that I suppose they've got to explore new avenues. I mean, for God's come up with a new storyline and at least give the audience something worth watching that's different.
3: But he says they just don't stand up alongside the quality of the new ones he's done.
0: Nah, the new ones...
2: No, they don't. The new the new ones are rubbish. <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Yeah
0: there's no there's no character development in the new ones you don't care about the characters and in the um the earlier movies you had time to get to know them and you cared what happened to them um albeit there was ex- explosions going on all, all around you um you did kind of care whether um han solo escaped or or whatever but the new versions uh, you know the real CGI fests and the effects looked fantastic and sounded fantastic in a way that they probably ne- never did in the originals but you know I'm a sucker for having a good story and I think that's what drags an audience in and if you don't yeah. have a good story they leave the cinema feeling unsatisfied
2: true but good stories don't sell action figures which I think is it's the main <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the you're, main yeah. Draw.
0: well yeah. you're quite right but you know if you're pitching a film to try to try and get a film made um, the I've tried this. Um, you, you can create a, a business plan for the film for th- three years, showing all the different revenue streams, and the funny thing that doesn't really excite people is is the um, merchandise and sales. I thought it did, and it got me nowhere at all.
2: <laughs> but it, 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 it doesn't for things like
0: Wuthering Heights, but for, <laughs> for Star
2: Wars, when you're talking about billions... Yeah. I think George Lucas is having a little look at a, a nice piece of land next to Skywalker Ranch and deciding how he's going to pay for it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing with that franchise is, if it's going to go any further, I think it needs to be out of his hands, um, and maybe pass a mantle onto somebody else to to take it on and and try and recapture the magic. I think the. The the thing I was worried about was the the Clone Wars, you know, the cartoon series. I was really worried about that. I thought, well, no, that's it's just another moneymaker. But actually, when it was in somebody else's hands, um, and a and, and new spin on it, I it, it actually really enjoyed uh, the Clone Wars. So maybe if somebody else came in uh, to reboot the franchise, maybe then it has a, a little bit more, um, I don't know, a little bit more life in it. But I, I don't know what you guys <laughs> think on that point.
2: But yeah, that's, that's quite similar to how I always viewed uh, the standalone, the Animatrix. I like the original Matrix. I didn't like any of the sequels. But as soon as you uh, inject a bit of new blood, and s- as soon as it's handed over to people who see it slightly differently, you're always going to get certainly an interesting take on things. And there's, there's always the, the problem that the argument is made that the original auteur doesn't know when to say stop. And I think that's very much a case with Lucas.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I quite agree with that.
1: Okay, so uh, we've put the world to rights with Star Wars uh, and uh, uh, world, Two, well, world, Two, world War Two, uh movies. Um, so let's come back in a few
0: seconds. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. Okay, so uh,
1: to wrap up on this month's podcast, we're going to do things a little bit differently because... Uh, it's the summer months and the disc releases are a little bit slow at the moment, but summer months, uh, we get the big movies coming to the cinemas. We've had the, the latest Terminator and we've also had the latest Star Trek and everybody here has, uh, apart from I think Alan has seen the new Star Trek film, but everybody here is Star Trek fans. So, uh, guys, let's kick it off. What
3: did you think of the new one? I thought it was an absolutely fantastic reboot of the franchise. Um, I absolutely love the old movies, I've recently got back into the old series because I just picked it up on Blu-ray the first season um, of the original series and uh, I'm loving the old Kirk Spock days, Um, it's the perfect time for it because I went and saw the new movie and then I straight back the same day went back with my best friend and we put on Wrath of Khan. And about a week later, the Blu-ray season one box set picked up and we're working our way through the episodes. It's, it's classics all the way. And I think that the new one has definitely found a way of rebooting the franchise whilst not forgetting all the things that made us love Star Trek. I mean, that the characters, so many of them, are so like what they were before and what we've known and loved. I mean, I particularly, although the obvious ones are obviously the Kirk and Spock thing, I think... Um, uh, Slightly more nuanced ones are, for example, uh, Doc, The Doc, Doc McCoy. I thought he was perfect. I, th- I think the others, it's easier to maybe do Spock because he's got the looks. But I think that McCoy, it just had it. I mean, short of doing damn it, Jim, he was right there.
4: Absolutely. It was a perfect voice as well, wasn't it? And what a great way to introduce him as well. Why? Why is he called Bones? Because, you know... Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, by doing the, uh, the alternate universe theory, can I say that? I think I can say that. It's been out long enough now, is not it? Um, they can do pretty much whatever they want. You know, they can keep the names, which they have done, but now they can do anything they want because we're not in the Star Trek universe anymore. We're in an alternate universe, so they can go and do whatever they want, which is a brilliant and a genius thing to do. Well, um,
1: well I'm going to pull you up on that point, Simon. Because this is something that I I mentioned in my blog. Did you not think it was a bit like the Bobby Ewing coming out the shower scene?
4: No, not at all. (laughs) How can you? You didn't think about that.
1: Do you not think it was a bit just a little bit too convenient to do it that way? I mean, it was it was well done, but it just had this feeling that it was, my God, it's a Bobby Ewing moment.
3: See, see, I agree with Simon that they needed to do that to reboot the series so they could have fresh stories, but I also agree with you, Phil, that the, the time travel thing is always, always a bad idea. I, I, I just don't... I mean, cramming that into it, it just didn't work. There, there are these guys sitting there for like 30 years uh, in their ship, eating people as they drift past, waiting for the correct time to actually get their revenge pissed me off no end. Sorry, annoyed me a lot. It it was just I hate it when they do time travel in in movies and in Star Trek it's totally unnecessary. Um but the justification in this perhaps is so that they can have fresh stories. Because otherwise they're gonna have to spend the rest of their lives trying to get the continuity right.
1: Well I, I guess that that's a very valid point and, and you know Simon can jump in at this point because um uh, we're all star trek fans here we all uh, I, I mean i wouldn't describe myself as a trekkie because I, i'm not that into it but i love the movies and i love the the, the whole feel of it but if there were to stick in the same universe you would have these nerds on the internet and we all know what armchair experts are like on the internet picking holes in in the continuity side of things so they had to do this didn't they
4: absolutely it's the only thing they could do um but even that hasn't uh been, I mean, you're talking about the RPG. no I mean, that exactly that's happened again. They, they've gone, oh, how can they do that? How can they do that? It's the only way that they can do it. And I think they've done a brilliant, brilliant job.
1: Well, I'm going to bring in Mark at this moment in time because Mark's always got a different aspect to things. um, <laughs> um Thank you, Phil. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just thinking back to to your comments before we all went to see this at the cinema. Uh, and you said it was, uh, what, what was it again? Um, Some kind of nine zero two one zero in space type of thing.
2: Dawson's Creek in space. So now that you've seen it, what do you think? Um, I, I I think it it fulfills its role as a summer blockbuster pretty much perfectly. I think it's um, it's it's very much it's it's not as much of a teen movie as I assumed it would be. By the same token, I've got to agree with you on the whole alternate reality. It, it's like a, a nice little get-out-of-jail-free card for any continuity experts. It's It just... It was necessary, but, you know, so was if Bobby DeWing wants to come back, just have him say, oh, I woke up and I just had a strange dream, or coming out of the shower. It, it was necessary to give the fans what they wanted. And so it was... Uh, uh, necessary evil but it it does work so uh i think that's about the the most you can say about it 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 works and it gives the fans pretty much everything they wanted okay so let's let's look at the the new film the new cast um how well do
1: you think uh, you guys do you think that that they managed to pull it off i mean uh, i thought spock was absolutely spot on um uh, bones absolutely brilliant i'm a little bit unsure about kirk but you know what did you guys think
3: I think you're spot on about those. Uh, Spock was uh, perfect for the role. He he even looked the part, and he was always destined for that role ever since in being in Heroes. And uh, Bones nailed uh, the mannerisms and the way, the way he was speaking and the things he would say, um, that incessant sort of paranoia about what's going to happen, people going to kill you all the time, and germs and bugs and. He was perfect in that role. Kirk, I'm, I'm, I too, I'm, I'm not sure about. I mean, the trouble is, though, he, has to, he doesn't really have to fit the role of Kirk. He has to actually pretend to be Shatner. And it's difficult to pretend to be Shatner and maintain any credibility as an actor. Because whilst I loved Shatner as Kirk, no one would want to pretend to be him. So I think it's quite a hard role to fit. Whereas you could be Spock and, in a way, not have to be Leonard Nimoy. And you could be Bones and not be Dee Forrest Kelly. Um, I don't even know whether I said his name right. But I, I think it's harder. If you're going to be Shatner and still be taken seriously, difficult. Watching some of the old episodes when Shatner's, when Kirk is having like a crisis moment, he just goes into full Shatner. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Like everyone else actually tries to act and he just goes full Shatner. Um, I, I don't know whether anyone else has got that ham ability.
1: Yeah, but you love him for it, though, don't you?
3: Definitely, yeah. No one else could have done it. He's the hero of the old movies.
1: So, um, Mark, are you in the same sort of line here? Did did you think the characters managed to to transition? Uh,
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, pretty much all the actors did what was required of them. I I think, um, to a certain extent, they are simply filling a space that the the viewers want to see, in many ways. Um, They... It was possible they could have gone very, very badly wrong and this film would have tanked because of it. But I think they, they chose actors close enough in resemblance and close enough in, uh, from previous roles, such as the, the chap who played Syla from Heroes, that it would fit quite seamlessly. And so therefore, it, in many ways, they could just enter the universe and let the story unfold without having to have too many problems with uh, people complaining about casting and the like. But still, it, is anyone going to have the gravitas of Shatner? It's 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 still a, a question that I feel is a little bit unanswered, especially if there are going to be any sequels.
1: Yeah, that's, that's certainly one of the points. But um, uh, there was a few weak points for me. I don't know about you guys. I mean, the, the whole time travel thing, we've, t- we've, we've discussed that out the window. It's gone now, but... Um, the, the weakest points for me were, were certainly Simon Pegg, and uh, I also felt Uhura was um, a
2: little bit disappointing. I don't know what you guys think of that. No, I, th- I think that's pretty much exactly right, I'm afraid. Uh, central characters of uh, Bones, Kurt, and uh, Spock were always going to be the kind of triumvirate around which everyone else revolved, but the peripheral cast... Did feel a little bit weak at times, but as I say, that if you you know when you go back and watch the original series, it's it's amazing how much you've built these characters up in your mind, and you forget how little they actually had to say, and how you know there weren't any great um, story arcs to do with their characters, so they're not really that fleshed out to start with. So to push them into a film where all of a sudden you're scrutinising them. Certainly brings up the flaws of the characters uh, to light a lot easier
4: and again um, because i mean we, we can pick them apart to death, but uh, to to mention the the alternate bit again they don 't have to be the same because at the point where the where the, the two lines diverged you 've got different people. I know it 's a bit of a get out clause but
2: yeah, it 's a get out of jail
1: free
4: card <laughs> absolutely, but it works yeah
1: oh, yeah uh, Alan um. You're a Scotsman, the same as me. Uh, we have this inherent ability to pick up on really bad Scottish accents. Um, <laughs> have you heard Simon Pegg yet?
0: I haven't, no, no. I mean, uh, Jimmy Doohan was always the, uh, the the typical Scotsman for me. Um, and uh, certainly when I, when, I, when I came down south, everybody tried to do an impression of Jimmy Doohan uh, whenever uh, they heard my Scottish accent. But, um, you know, I think for an Englishman to try and do a Scotsman, I haven't heard a convincing one yet. Um, But, you know, Simon Pegg's quite a good mimic, so I should imagine he'd make a pretty good fist of it. Yeah, maybe.
1: Okay, so uh, there we go, reboot of Star Trek. Is it a thumbs up, thumbs down, or uh, average? Um, Simon?
4: Oh, thumbs up, without a doubt.
1: Kaz?
3: Yeah, I'd give it an eight, so yeah, definitely.
1: Mark, uh,
2: I'd
3: call it functional,
1: <laughs> halfway, a halfway house. Okay. Um, now, the original movies are coming to Blu-ray, and um, we—I don't know about you guys, but I just uh, the, the Captain Kirk is William Shatner. It, it, it's this is the whole thing with the reboot, which I don't think is going to work. But um, we've got these original movies They're also on uh, Sky um, a few weeks ago in HD as well. The original films, which ones were your favourites and why? And, and why do we love them so
2: much? Um, well, they all seem to kind of uh, fit in quite nicely as, as, a, as a set. You know, uh, there are some that are more uh, um, conflict-based, some that are a little bit more contemplative. You know, the, the ones that focus more on Spock are slightly more zen-like. And I think they, as a set, they in fact work better than they did as simply uh, individual films. And so I think, depending on where they go with this new Star Trek franchise, you might find the same is true with that. I mean, I, I might come to completely uh, eat my words and, and decide that, as a set, if they make a trilogy, that, that it works far better than an individual summer blockbuster.
4: I think I agree with you there. As, as When you get the set, and I'm an, I have the set, and the site is reviewing the set, Chris will be banging it up very, very soon this week, hopefully. Um, delays in customs which is why it's not been posted um, the set itself is spectacular, all the films digitally looked at with as many extras as you can well there's so many extras that's why it's taking so long because each disc has got hours of extras and um, they, the, um, the weakest film of course is, is Chattano's own directorial debut the Star Trek 5 which is just diabolical um but the rest of them, the the, the three uh, two, three, and four. that little art there is brilliant, and of course, number six, when it all sort of well, it's, it's the last real one, isn't it? um they 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 create action-packed films they're, and they're very, very enjoyable. A lot of people don't like the first one. I actually really, really like the first one. Yes, it's slow. but then they'd spent how much money producing those those um model shots that so they just had to show them all. Fair enough, you know. Yeah, shame they had to reuse them in the second one though. That was a bit of a nuisance.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that that's the thing with the with the first film. I've I've got a agree with you, Simon. I I really enjoy the first film, but it gets a bit ponderous, doesn't it? When it mm. you know Kirk and Scotty they're going towards the the new Enterprise, and there's about fifteen different angled shots. Uh, they must have flown around it, you know, for for an hour or so, just so so you could get yeah. all these shots. But yeah, they had to compete with Star Wars, though, didn't they? I mean, it was released nineteen seventy nine, so. Um, that, that was the whole thrust for it being remade um, so guys which ones were your favourites then uh, there must be a uh, a favourite film from the all so let, let's go through everybody Kaz which one was your favourite from the, the original crew?
3: Without a shadow of a doubt Wrath of Khan is without a shadow of a doubt the best Star Trek anything ever it is uh, it transcends the sci-fi genre I mean written um uh, written to tie in with the TV series, it actually stands on its own, and it's got enough character depth and uh, enough action. Um, s- some of the classic philosophical ideas about uh, creating life—it's all thrown into the mix—and it's got that classic final standoff, uh, as if um, uh, these were ships in the sea battling against each other. Um, the, you know, the the Khan and Kirk battling it out in that freaking Matara Nebula, I n- never get the name right, but it's like Matara or Matabu or something like that, Nebula, and they're fighting it out in there. Um, this is, th- th- that is the, the stuff of Dreams, it was it was a really fantastic movie for me, and I don't think no amount of special effects could they throw, throw at the movies, as was evident probably from the next generation F, um, to make uh, a movie as good as that, in my opinion.
2: Okay, Mark, what about yourself well um Kaz has pretty much uh, summed up my thoughts perfectly Wrath of khan it's it, it feels the most complete it it just seems to the the pacing of it as you've said the first could seem a little pondersome, almost like they'd taken an episode and decided to flesh it out as much as possible but Ruth of Khan, it just felt like a like an event like a a fully fledged Star Trek movie, and so I think it it stands pretty much as the high point in my view. And uh, Alan, what about yourself?
0: Yeah, I, my favourite one is uh, the Search for Spock. Um, it's to me, it was one that was directed by Leonard Nimoy, and I think it probably kind of harked back to uh, most authentically to the the series. Um, we had sequences on uh, studio based planets where you had. Um, sort of uh, polystyrene rocks and all that kind of stuff, and I, I think uh, to me it was a good storyline, and to me, to see that Spock wasn't dead after all, and uh, it was it's quite an emotional film. Albeit the great the odd space battle scene here and there was good, but to me it was the movie that I felt was the most satisfying. It was a lot. I would say also that um, the one with the whales, the voyage home, was a fun movie, and. Uh, it was enjoyable, but not a serious movie.
1: Yeah, I've I've got to say, um, number two, definitely, for me. Number two, for all the reasons Kaz said. But number four, it's a guilty little pleasure of mine, number four. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I just love this whole concept of them coming back and the, the whole fish-out-of-water thing. I just f- found it to be uh, hilarious. I, I don't know about you other guys.
4: Well, for me, four was the one. Um, I mean, well, everything Cass said about two. Yeah, absolutely agree with that 100%. For, for me, four was the was the pinnacle because it was great fun um it went back to um i mean you you everything that was good about star trek was in there you had the the comedy bits you had the the camaraderie between the thing they weren't even in the enterprise they'd gone back to modern day time i mean everything they had done before um but it was just on the big screen saving whales i mean my god it's just fantastic a terrific terrific film and that one for me will always stand above um the wrath of Khan just because it's great fun Khan's great i mean it's a fantastic film but it's so Deep and depressing and what an ending but what an ending you know what I mean so f- for me definitely and number
1: four. I think the reason number four is so strong is because oh you've got the original cast and everybody's just let loose to do their thing and mm. um I don't know about you Alan but but that always appeals to me when you've got characters that can just let loose and, and do something a bit different
0: Oh yeah, I mean the funniest thing in uh, The Voyage Home that I recall is, is Chekhov when he's in uh, San Francisco uh, saying in a thick Russian accent uh, to a policeman, can you direct me to the nuclear whistles please?
1: Uh, so I mean that one's, that one's a guilty pleasure. Kaz, uh, Ratha, Ratha Khan, the, the the later films do you think that they lost their way a little bit in it, and it needed to change hands to the next generation or do you think we maybe would have gotten a, another couple of films out of them uh,
3: it's difficult to see how they could have gotten out of uh, gotten more films out of them uh, as th- at the age they were getting to but if they'd made uh, more movies like undiscovered country and less movies like uh, final um star trek five or frontier was it yeah was that the name of yes yeah, so i think they would have had perhaps squeezed out maybe another movie there. But that said, the reverse is also true. If, if Final Frontier had been a good movie, they might have just signed off on that. It was the very fact that it did so badly and no one wanted to remember it as being the last uh, Star Trek movie that they brought them in for one more movie. So I suppose we should be grateful for it. Um, it's odd sh- you should all talk about 4 as having lots of uh, like camaraderie and funny bits because I actually remember 5 as having some as well. And yet because of the appalling setting... Um, no one really likes the movie. I haven't seen it for ages, but I do remember a few. There's like that the campfire song they have, and even the scene with Kirk climbing the mountain and talking to Spock on his little hoverboard. Mm. That's kind of classic Star Trek. There, I just wonder whether anyone else um, notices that about it, or just dismisses the film because it was a a bit of a, a um, end result. I
1: d- yeah, I, I don't dismiss it. Um, as a, it was a poor movie, but because of those elements, I still in, in, enjoy the the whole uh, the whole thing between the three of them, and and that's something that I'm missing. I'm hoping that uh, this new franchise can bring that back, uh, but I don't think you'll ever replace the you know Shatner and Namoy and and old bones there because I, I guess that that that's the central part of the movies, and that that's the central part of the original series that really worked and and drew people in. I think.
0: Wouldn't it be funny in the campfire scene if they'd all be sitting around eating their beans and suddenly Spock had let one rip and he went, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's move things
1: on um, a little bit with this conversation and wrap things up a little bit. Um, now, the reason they came back, uh, we're completely missing out the TV series is here, but I think that's a conversation for another day. Uh, lots of controversy and all sorts of things when you talk about the TV series, but... Let's get back to the reason why Star Trek um, came onto the big screen, why it came back, because they were actually planning on bringing back the TV programme until uh, this little film burst onto the scene in 1977 and they had to make a movie, um, the the original motion picture. So um, Star Wars, Star Trek, um, do you guys see them uh, in the same sort of light or, or not?
0: no, no I think um oh certainly uh Star trek sorry uh, yeah Star Trek came out as a movie uh at the at that time because of star wars and the interest in big screen sci fi It probably wouldn't have happened if if uh, star wars hadn't been a success but they've they've all got their own individuality and um so so um I think that both Star Trek and Star Wars um stand out as separate franchises to use the a word that I hate to be honest um but, but the you know Star Wars uh ex- exists in its own path but you know that's got its own fans and I, I think the the uh overlap between the fans of Star Wars and Star Trek is a, a relatively small area um, because each has different allegiances. And I, th- I would say I'm probably more of the Star Trek camp.
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree that they should be taken separately, because uh, Wars has always been about, uh, if I can use the two words together, sci-fi reality, uh, whereas, um, sorry, Star Trek has always been about sci-fi. That's a pretty good mistake to make. Star Trek has always been about sci-fi reality. Star Wars has always been about sci-fi fantasy. So uh, Star Wars is an alternate reality, a completely alternate reality where people have superpowers, where people have this force, where um, nothing is based on what we could possibly evolve into because it's all going on at a different time to us anyway in a completely different universe. Uh, Star Trek for me has always been about the future now I'm not sure we'll ever end up in, in the Enterprise but you could perhaps look at it that way um, a little bit more so so I've always held them distantly as one painting a more fantastical image and one painting a more future conscious image
4: interesting Mark well I don't see why you can't like both at the same time I do
3: yeah I, I, I do yeah no I, I don't say I don't say I don't like them both but for different reasons
4: yeah yeah so of course the problem with Star Wars now it's been, you know, trod in the dirt by the latest three films. You know, the 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 higher regard that we've all got for the first three, um, has now been sullied by these latest three films. Whereas Star Trek didn't really have that, did it? It's um it it's filmic output. If we ignore the T V series, it's filmic output has been pretty good. I mean I know a lot of people didn't like the um the next generation films, particularly the last one, which have gotta be honest, is a bit crap. Um, which is why they needed this reboot But um,
2: I think mm. the difference though it, it's like a, a slow decline for the Trek franchise in many ways throughout the movies for a lot of people whereas with Star Wars because it crashed and burned so quickly with The Phantom Menace it, it's almost like it kind of uh, broke the spell slightly for some and so I, I think I think they they to a certain extent although they don't have to be taken uh, don't have to inhabit the same ground with this latest blockbuster film for the Star Trek franchise you can't help but feel that action figures and the like really can be too far from producers minds and the you know
4: well they always are nowadays aren't they
2: Oh yeah but I, I'm I'm saying that when the fra- uh, when the the merchandise starts to generate greater revenue than the picture, then surely that's going to start changing the direction of the films themselves. Yeah, which, which is basically what happened with Star Wars. Totally, I t- totally agree with you there. Um, so let's wrap this
1: up, guys. Um, uh, obviously, we're, we're seeing Star Trek's more well; it's not really reality based, but more where we would like to be. Do you think that 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 this new reboot? Will be able to inspire the next generation, like um, you know, the whole Star Trek franchise really has since the '60s and uh, and got people interested in science and interested in warp engines and interested in, in new technology. Do you think that that the reboot is is going to continue that line,
4: Alan? Uh, the, the reboot only works so well because it's got the history. Um, if you were to have a, have this film by itself without any of the past it's difficult to know
3: it would be awful yeah. i think it would be awful it wouldn't stand up at all i mean the, the reason why we all love it is because it reminds us all of what we love no, yeah i think i think, think, but I I think th- it wouldn't stand by itself at all
0: yeah i think also looking at it from the point of view that there are now generations of people who have been kids and have now grown up, uh, and every seven years this happens, you get a new generation of movie goers. Uh, I think the new Star Trek movie appears to have uh, generated sufficient interest to get that same generation to want to come back to see another movie.
3: Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'd, I'd agree that it might have reinvigorated the franchise, but as a standalone entity, um, I don't think it just couldn't exist without everything uh simon says without everything that has come before that has been built upon to create this um it's it's i think i'm not entirely sure it might i might have um spawned an interest in people who wouldn't necessarily jump out and go and see star trek but they must have known something about it beforehand because if you walked into that movie not knowing kirk and spock and not knowing anything you would be sitting there going why are they jumping back in time and who is and uh, what's We'd going on here? At the costumes and the like, wouldn't we? Yeah. I don't think that we're going to see from this a massive resurgence in people being interested in warp drives and being interested in Star Trek other than those who already had a a nominal, at least, interest in it before. Um, All it's made me want to do is go out and buy everything Star Trek related on Blu-ray and watch it all again because that's what it's reminded me of. Um, I I will see the next movie when it comes out uh, and they have talked about maybe making a TV series. I'm not sure how that'll work Um, But I I, very seldom these days have they got it spot on, and this is not the Batman Begins Dark Knight of Star Trek movies. Um, I think for me this is just a a nice sort of homage and nod to everything that we we previously loved, Um, and has good bodes well for the future. But isn't all out amazing? This is the way it should always have been.
0: Now, the the interesting thing about saying these sort of things when you're being recorded is that people can always play them back to you in three years' time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, at least I wasn't um, someone who reviewed Phantom Menace and gave it 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) A famous magazine about films that I once read, I think they mentioned Phantom Menace in a cinema release and gave it like five stars out of five. Uh Someone shot themselves and got fired. (laughs) shot themselves
1: okay well uh, that's been a trip down memory lane and also um, our quick and brief look at the new franchise uh, launch for Star Trek um and that's about it for this month's Movies podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and I just need to thank the uh, AV Forums review team. We had Alan, Kaz, Mark, and Simon this month. Don't forget, we'll be back again next month, and if you have any questions, comments, uh, or queries, then send us an email to podcast at And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next month.
0: The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.